Good morning. How are you? The crossing doing good today? Are you good? I can tell you have no idea how thrilled I am uh, to be here, and this is just so much fun. And speaking of uh, being thrilled, I know on the other side of the camera, we've got the Southeast Campus and the microsites and the Crossing Online joining us. Let's give them a great big welcome there. We love you guys. It's so cool what you're doing together. So very cool. So I'm from Anaheim, California, Bring you greetings from the home of the Mighty Ducks hockey team the not-headed-to-the-world-series Angels baseball team, Mickey Mouse, and the most expensive, I mean, happiest place on earth is in Anaheim. And if you get over, I hope you'll come see us. Uh, I've not met many of you before. Some of you I've known for a long time, and I know uh, some of you have never heard me speak, and so I'm just going to acknowledge the elephant in the room right now. You're wondering, Gene, is that your real voice? You didn't have to laugh. Do you really sound like that? You know, I'd give your audio team a hundred bucks if they could make me sound like Barry White this weekend, you know, kind of Jesus loves you, baby, something like that. Uh, but instead, when God was handing out voices, I got one that sounds like I've been inhaling helium for four days. So that's what you've got today. Hey, uh, I got to tell you, uh, every time I come to the crossing, I just get goosebumps and uh, I hope you never get over the magnitude of the miracle of what God has done through this church. And, and I remember when this church was nothing more than idea. I remember when it was nothing more than a prayer, nothing more than a vision. I remember sitting down with Shane Phillip when he was about 12 years old, and he still had a full head of hair. And uh, we started dreaming together about what God could do here in the Southwest uh, part of the valley, and then to just come and see what God's doing, and to think about what you as a city have been through the last three weeks, and the wounds, and the pain, and the hurt, and the grief, and I've been grieving with you uh, every day, and praying for you every day, and yet I think about this church, that God put this church here for such a time as this, and this is, really is the crossing for many people. It's the crossing from mourning to dancing, from grief to joy, from defeat to victory through the power and hope and grace of Jesus Christ. And I'm just so proud of you as a church for the way you're providing a healing community to one another to heal Las Vegas during this time. I'm so thankful for Shane and his leadership. And I just hope you know you have one of the great pastors in America in this church. And uh, he's a great, great man. So, you know, in a church this size, a crowd this size, I know that we all come from a lot of different backgrounds, and we come from a lot of different spiritual backgrounds. Some of you grew up with kind of no spiritual or church background at all. Some of you came from um, different uh, major world religions. Maybe you grew up in a home that practiced Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or Judaism. Uh, some of you grew up like me in a Christian church, and if, if you've ever visited many churches who follow Jesus, you've noticed that there's a lot of different worship styles. Some are very classical in their worship style, and their music tends to lean toward Bach. Then there are others that are kind of traditional worship, and they sing out of hymn books and things like that and old hymns. Then there are places like the crossing where the flock likes to rock, and uh, you know what I mean. There are country, western-style worship services. There are people who blend different styles together. Some of you grew up in backgrounds where 
the worship was voices only and no instruments were used in, in worship. And so there's all different kinds of style. There's a popular uh, black gospel singer. He says, when his church really gets going in worship, the steeple on top starts swaying back and forth. But today I want to ask you an intriguing question, and it's probably a question that maybe you've never thought about before, and it's what style of worship does God like? We think about what we like, but have we ever asked ourselves, what does God like? Do you think God would be offended if we took one of the most popular kind of uh, beer-drinking songs, kind of a song sung in karaoke bars and, and uh, concert festivals across the country, and if we put some Christian words to it and, and we used it in church today, you think he'd be offended by that? Well, I, I happen to have the lyrics right here I brought for you today. It, it goes like this. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Centuries ago, Martin Luther walks into a pub, into a tavern, and he hears that tune. And he thinks, that's a pretty good tune. I'll put some Christian words to it. And maybe God will use that to get into the hearts and lives of people, and maybe that can honor him. And when you think about it, a mighty fortress is our God. even sounds like a beer drinking song, doesn't it? Martin Luther writes that to the tune of a beer drinking song, and today we say, oh, now that's sacred music. That's the style of music that God likes. Most of us have in our mindset what kind of worship we think God likes, and I want to submit to you today that the Bible hasn't defined worship the way we have defined it, but many of us have had it defined by our traditions that we came from. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey on Palm Sunday, he was greeted by a parade. And in those days in a parade, it wasn't ticker tape, it wasn't confetti that they threw, but they would take palm branches and they waved them at Jesus and they put it down on the Palm Sunday path for his donkey to walk over. And the high church folks were very offended by this act of worship. And they began to rebuke the disciples. And they said, you know, they said, Jesus, you should try to teach these people how to worship properly because they are worshiping the wrong way. And Jesus said, even if they are silent, the rocks will cry out or the child will cry out, whichever it is. <laughs> but that was Jesus' way of saying, oh no, I like this kind of worship. This is real worship. Throughout church history, there have been different groups of Pharisees who would say things like, no, 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 no. We don't worship that way. That's not real worship. Maybe you grew up in environments where people would say, shh, you're in church. Some people think we ought to put all kinds of crosses and religious symbols all over environments where we worship. And I don't have any problem with that. But I want you to understand symbols and buildings aren't holy. God lives in you, not in buildings. But we develop these kind of unbiblical ideas. Now, if you want to know the style of worship that God likes, it's not a mystery. He actually wrote a book of the Bible to show us what kind of worship that he likes, and it's called Psalms. And Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible. It's 150 chapters long, and it's primarily on worship. 
And I think that was God's way of saying, I'm going to give you the biggest book of the Bible because this is the most important thing to me. And if you read the Psalms, they're God's style's expression of praise and worship. But for many of us, what we read in the Psalms doesn't look like worship in our minds. In fact, to be honest with you, when you read the Psalms, it looks more like ball games and concerts and music festivals because there's clapping and dancing and shouting and hands waving and exuberance and praising and noise. Now, we live in a culture, we love our sports, right? We love our concerts. And people are such fans of these things that they go early and they tailgate. They hang out early at these events. And when you do that, people call you a fan. You start doing that at church, they'll call you a fanatic. Now today, I want to show you God's style of worship in the Psalms. And it's important for you to understand that when the Old Testament was written, it was originally written in the Hebrew language. And we have tremendous English translations of the Hebrew language that we can trust. But here's the problem. The Hebrew vocabulary is quite picturesque. And sometimes... One single Hebrew word can be so picturesque that it takes an entire paragraph in English to try to capture what it's saying. So when English translators translated some of the words about worship when they were translating the Psalms, they simplified some of them and they gave us one word called praise. But here's something I bet you didn't know. You can be reading through the book of Psalms and there are seven different Hebrew words used for praise. They're all translated in English, praise, but they all have very unique meanings to them. And so today what I want to do is I want to show you the seven different Hebrew words for praise, and I hope you'll take some notes. I want to show you how the Hebrew dictionary defines them. So here we go. Here's where we discover God-style worship. Here's the first word, halal. And halal is probably, if you look at it a little bit, it looks a little familiar to you if you've ever heard the word hallelujah. The word hallelujah comes, the yah on hallelujah stands for Yahweh or for God. The hallelujah, the halal means to rave, boast, celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. So hallelujah equals praise God. Hallelujah. Now some of you look at this and says to rave, boast, celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. That's the style of worship God likes. In other words, God likes it when you get a little crazy in your worship. God says, I like it when you sing and celebrate to me. I like it when you get clamorously foolish. Now, that makes sense when you think about it. It makes sense to me because it makes total sense when you're at a ball game. It makes total sense when you're at a concert, but we think it's irreverent in church. Look, it's not. God's looking for people that are excited to see, to see him, to worship him. Here's the verse from Psalm 35, verse 18. It says, then I will thank you in front of the great assembly. I will praise, I will halal, I will shout, I will boast, I will be clamorously foolish. I will praise you before all the people. Now, I'm sympathetic if that takes you out of your comfort zone because this is a journey I've had to take in my life. In the church that I grew up in, we could sing all four verses of the old hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus while sitting down and nobody thought a thing of it. In fact, in the church I grew up in, nobody was ever so moved in worship that they actually moved. And if somebody had lifted their hands in worship, oh my, somebody would have called 911 right there. 
I didn't make this leap all in one day. This is a journey I've had to take and I'm still taking. But I want to ask you to take a step in that direction. We need to give worship to God, praise to God, not just because he deserves it and he's worthy of it, but we need to do it in the way he wants it. Now, here's the second word, yada. This is not Yoda. This is not the little green character, okay? This is yada, and it means to worship with extended hand, to worship with extended hand. If I were to say, how many of you are followers of Jesus? Many of you all over the room would just extend your hand. You would just put your hand up. So God likes it when you lift your hand in worship. Does it have a purpose? Of course it does. You do it at a football game. In fact, what happens, what, is the, what does the referee do when a team scores a touchdown? Right there. Right? This is victory. He's acknowledging at work. You win. It's a natural response. Here's the verse in Scripture. Psalm 138, verse 1. I will praise, I will lift my hands to you, Lord, with all my Heart. Here's word number three, Barak. And yes, this is the name of our former president. And Barak means to bless by kneeling or bowing, actually getting on your knees. In Exodus 19, the Israelites have miraculously crossed through the Red Sea and they're wandering through the wilderness now. God had parted the waters and they come to Mount Sinai to have an encounter with God, to have a worship experience. And I want to just read you kind of some verses from Exodus chapter 19 that describes their worship experience. Once more, the Lord spoke to Moses, go back and tell the people that today and tomorrow they must get themselves ready. There's a preparation side of worship to meet me. They must wash their clothes and be ready by the day after tomorrow when I will come down to Mount Sinai where all of them can see me. You jump down to verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning. A thick cloud covered the mountain. A loud trumpet blast was heard, and everyone in camp trembled with fear. Moses led them out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai, notice this worship experience, was covered with smoke because the Lord had come down in flaming fire. Smoke poured out of the mountain just like a furnace, and the whole mountain shook. The trumpet blew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. Now just try to imagine what that scene was like and what it is to encounter the actual presence of the living God. Can you imagine anybody saying in that moment, well, we're going to leave now because they're not singing the songs we like today. Or can you imagine anybody saying, I don't like it when Moses leads worship. He's all that flash and everything. I like it when Aaron just sits down at the piano and it's just kind of quiet up there on the mountain. Or can you imagine anybody saying, this worship was just way too over the top today. All that smoke is hazy and that flaming fire is just too bright and the lights are distracting. And those trumpets, I swear, they get louder and louder every time we go. It's too loud. I like worship that is more an unplugged acoustic set or something like that, more reverence. Friends, I don't think any of those statements were made. Do you know why? Because when people encounter, encounter the living God, they are filled with awe and they are humbled and they tremble and they fall to their knees and they bow down and they bless him and they kneel in humility. Here's the verse, Psalm 103, verse 1, praise, bow down before the Lord. 
my soul, all my inmost being. Bow down on your knees. Praise his holy name. His holy name. Here's the fourth word for praise. Zamar. And Zamar means to pluck the strings of an instrument with joyful expression. And it's talking about stringed instruments here, making music to God with stringed instruments. And if you study the word picture here, it means you pluck those bad boys. You hit them hard. God doesn't want this acoustic spa treatment music. He likes it when you get the electric guitar going. Here's the verse, Psalm 92, verse 1. It is good to pray, Zamar, hit those strings to the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. Here's word number five, Shabbat. Say that with me, Shabbat. The way you say that properly in the Hebrew is you have to pretend like there's a kernel of popcorn in the back of your throat which I wouldn't do if you don't want to give the person a shower in front of you right now. But the word shabak means to shout, to address in a loud tone, to shout in loud tones. And 3,000 years ago, God says, I want you to address me with shouts. I want you to address me with loud tones. Here's the verse, Psalm 63, verses 3 and 4. Because your love is better than life, better than life, better than golf, Better than beach houses, better than vacations. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you with a loud voice. You, as long as I live and in your name, there it is, I will lift up my hands. Now, remember how many chapters there are in the book of Psalms? How many? 150. And I personally believe that it's the last one, the 150th Psalm, that summarizes the whole book. And I've highlighted all the praise words here, and the word is halal, halal, halal. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. The first time I read that, I thought, are you serious, God? Yeah, God likes it when you get a little airtime in your worship. And some of you are saying, I could never do that. Well, I know what happens. The music, some of you, you're new around here and starting already to get in your feet a little bit. And you're tapping and it's just going to move right up your body. That's what happens over time. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. And he emphasizes cymbals twice there. He say, go ahead and really clash those cymbals really loud. Some of you say, but I don't like loud music then you better bring earplugs to heaven with you because the Bible teaches the praise in heaven is so loud that it is louder than the, than the loudest thunder of waterfall on earth. And if you've ever been to Niagara Falls or something, you know you can't even hear yourself speak in an environment like that. And doesn't it make sense that God would like that? I mean, wouldn't you hate it at a ball game if everybody was going, shh, No, the louder the better, right? Just trying to jar your thinking a little bit today, okay? Here's word number six, toda, which means to lift hands in adoration. And if you're taking notes, you'll notice this is the second word for praise that has to do with lifting hands. Two of the seven have to do with lifted hands in worship. This one is different, though, than the first. The first one says, God, I love you. Thank you for the victory. Remember, touchdown. But this one says, God, I surrender to you in adoration. When I see your greatness, I just surrender. For many centuries, what's been the international sign of surrender in war? Hands up, I surrender. 
What happens when a cop says to a suspect, you know, stop, put your hands up, put your hands up, I surrender. Here's where it's used in Psalm chapter 50, verse 23. He who offers praise, surrendered hands to God, glorifies me. Now here's the seventh word, and it's the funniest one sounding of all, and that is tehillah, which of course sounds like, yeah, how did you know that? Tehillah, it, it, but it's not the same word, but it does have the same results. It leads to, <laughs> it leads to exuberant singing. And it gets even funnier when I read the verse from Psalm 34, uh, Psalm 34, 1. I will extort the Lord at all times. His Tehillah will always be on my lips. God just enjoys it when you bring singing to him and you sing exuberantly. You say, Gene, you don't understand. I can't sing. Oh, I understand. You know, we can hear you up here. You don't think we can. That's one of the reasons we play the music so loud. (laughs) Now, here's a verse where it's just kind of fun because it mixes several of these praise words. They all come together in Psalm 108. Oh, God, my heart is fixed. Notice I've made up my mind. I don't care what anybody else thinks. My heart is fixed. I'm a follower of you. And then notice these next two words, very important. I will. You bring an I will spirit that you're not going to love God in the way that you prefer or everybody else does, but you're going to express your love, I will, in the way, God, that you prefer and want to be loved. I will sing and give praise. Zamar and pluck those strings. Even with my glory, I will praise Yada with extended hands, thee, O Lord, among the people. And I will sing praises, Tehillah is the word there, among the nations. Friends, this is traditional 3,000-year-old worship to God. And you say, God likes some things I don't even like. I get that. So what do you do when worship is not in the style that you like it, not the style you would choose? That's a great question. Ben Merrill has been one of the great mentors and teachers in my life. Uh, Many years ago, the church I serve, Eastside Christian Church in Anaheim, Ben was the pastor of for 22 years, and I was his intern when I was 20 years old back in 19... And I can't even begin to express to you what he has meant to my life and what his example has meant to my life. He's a great samurai of the faith. He's over 90 years old now, and he's still vital and still preaches. And uh, I want to share with you a portion of some words he shared not long ago at the North American Christian Convention. Take a look at the screen. What about the older people? Where do I start? I don't much like the new music either. That's a good place to start, isn't it? In fact, I haven't liked it longer than most of you haven't liked it. I haven't even caught up with Bill Gaither's music. I'm still back with John Peterson, you know. But the point of it is, we need to hang in there. And stop complaining. And let me illustrate. Tim Harlow wanted me to tell this story. Congregation I served had a lady in it named Elizabeth Dolan. 
The event I'm going to tell you about happened when she was either 81 or 82 years of age. Elizabeth Dolan went to one of our Bible colleges for a year or two back in the days when women were rarely found in our colleges. She became what we might call a home missionary. She started Sunday schools all over western Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, a number of places. This lady was a real servant. At that time, the church had a youth choir called the Life Society. The Life Society was on the cutting edge of contemporary music. They were asked to sing all over Southern California. Elizabeth Dolan, whenever possible, would get on the bus and ride with them to their engagements and attend their concerts, and the kids loved having her along. One night in an elders meeting, Ray said, does Mrs. Dolan really like that music? There was a long pause and Howard said, no, Mrs. Dolan loves kids. And that settled the matter. <laughs> out of that, out of that came a motto that I've tried to live by, another one. It goes like this. I will be willing to put up with things I don't like for the sake of reaching people who are not like me. And you can adopt that same motto to the older people, be patient. Hang in there. You are smart enough to really do something and be productive if you'll only start serving again. And I want to tell you, when you start serving, invariably, you will quit criticizing. Amazing, amazing, per mature perspective, isn't it? I'm inspired by Ben. I'm inspired by the example of Elizabeth Dolan. I want to be like them when I'm in my 80s and 90s right there. Don't you? Now, listen, the fact of the matter is every single one of us here today, we all worship something. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you worship something because worship is our response to what we value most. Worship is our response to what we value most. There is something that you really love. You love your sport, you love your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your music, your hobby, whatever. There's something that you really love. And the thing is getting a response. You, are, you give an expression toward that thing that you love. And if you just follow the trail of your time, your schedule, your money, your energy, your conversations, your uh, things that you surf for on the internet, you will find out what you worship. You will find out what you value the most. So whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you're a worshiper of something. Now listen, God doesn't mind if you have other loves in your life. He doesn't mind if you love your favorite football team or baseball team or whatever it is. He doesn't mind if you love a hobby. What he does mind is when that thing takes a higher place in your life than God takes in your life. The very first of the Ten Commandments, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. I want to be number one in your life. Friends, here's what we need to understand about worship. Worship is love expressed. It's not worship if it's not love. And it's not love if it's not expressed. I, what if I said to my wife, Barbara, honey, I love you, but don't ever expect me to show it to you. 
Don't ever express any acts of affection. Don't express any, you know, touches of love, any kisses of love, any hugs of love, any tender words of love. No, I don't express it. Worship is simply an expression of what you love. There was a guy that came to Jesus one time, and he said, Jesus, of all the commandments that have been given to us, which one is the greatest commandment? And that was a great question, because in the Old Testament, there weren't just 10 commandments, but there were 440 commandments that were given throughout the Old Testament. And so he asked, could you just tell me what is the most important one? That way I could focus on that. I, I could just work on that. Now, you might think Jesus would say, no, no, no. They're all equally important, but that's not what he says. Jesus responds to that great question with this great answer. Mark 12, he says, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and the only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus is saying, if you'll just do this one commandment, all the other 439 will just get a lot easier. Let me say it another way. You forget this one commandment, the other 439 are really hard. Some of you need to hear this today because for you, Christianity is hard right now and sometimes you feel like it's too hard and sometimes you feel like God is asking too much of you. Listen, back away from all of that and just do this one thing. Fall in love with God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength because when you're in love, the rest is easy. And when you're not in love, it's hard. Listen, the secret of Christianity is not trying to obey, to obey all those things in the Bible, but it's falling in love with the God of the Bible, and then you just gladly do those things. So let me ask all of you a question today. I'm not your judge. I'm not trying to judge you. You have the Holy Spirit to judge you. But listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life right now and ask yourself this question. What do I love the most? What are you giving your time to? What are you giving your energy to? Who or what is getting your worship? Just make sure it's God. Now, I need to say what I'm about to say. I know in every church, and I'm sure the crossing is the same way that I've ever been a part of, there are some people who come intentionally late to church. You know who you are, okay? And you think, I'll miss all the preliminaries, and I'll get there for the main event. I'll get there for the sermon. I'll get there for the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. That's a big mistake. Listen, the worship team is not the warm-up act around here. The worship is the main event. God is the main event. So prepare yourself and get here a little early. And for those of you who thought you would skip the worship today, we've got good news for you. We've saved it till last so you don't have to miss the main event. Now, if you were to attend Eastside Christian Church where I serve in Anaheim, you would notice in many of our services right down in the front row center, there is one of the most expressive worshipers I've ever seen in my life, and his name is Kevin. And Kevin will sometimes be right, right down front. Sometimes he'll come to multiple services every weekend. That's Kevin right there. And he'll be clapping. And once in a while, he'll get marching back and forth across the front of the room. And he'll, he'll do this, you know. And people are kind of looking out for his elbows and everything that go on like that. And you see Kevin down there and you think, man, would somebody get that guy a Valium or something? What is wrong with him? 
But when you know Kevin's story, you understand why he worships the way that he does. When Kevin was 15 years old, he started using drugs. And it wasn't long before he got addicted to meth. And he was using every morning, every noon, every evening, every social gathering, every party, all of his life. It controlled his life for 30 years. And it absolutely took everything that he had. He lost everything. And then six years ago, Jesus set Kevin free. And Kevin loves Jesus. And I had the privilege of baptizing him a few years ago. And I, I was thinking about Kevin this week. And it made me think about a woman that came to Jesus one day when uh, he was at a home having a meal with some of the religious leaders. And this woman, kind of a disreputable reputation, came in and just threw herself at the feet of Jesus and began to worship him. And she anointed his feet with her tears and washed them with her hair. And she broke over a very expensive jar of alabaster perfume on Jesus. And the religious conservative crowd that was there, they were like furious. And they were like, Jesus, you should do something about this. This is not the proper way to worship. But Jesus disagreed. And he said, when you've been forgiven much, you love much. Worship is love expressed. And Kevin, he's been forgiven much. And so he loves God much. I wonder if sometimes we just forget how much we've been forgiven. We just forget how much God has done for us. How dependent we all are on his amazing grace. What style of worship does God like? What's God's love language? Well, he tells us right in his words. It's to halal, to rave, boast, celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. Yada, to worship with extended hand in victory. Barak, to bless by kneeling or bowing when you come into the presence of God. Zamar, to pluck the strings of an instrument with joy. To shabak, to shout, to address in a loud tone. To toda, to lift hands in adoration surrender to him to exuberant singing to him and friends right now is our chance to tell god how much we love him in the love language that is meaningful to him it's a chance to worship god not out of routine it's a chance to worship god not casually but to come before the god who made the heavens and the earth to come before the god who shook the mountains and roared with thunder to come before the god who holds the universe in the palm of his hands with a sense of awe this is our chance to worship the god who sent his only son to die for each and every one of us. So let's all stand at wherever campus we are right now. Let's bow our heads together. And let's take just a moment to establish kind of communication with God between our soul and with him. And let's pray. God, we want to begin this prayer by expressing our regret for the way we've allowed worship to get off track. When we've allowed it to become routine or unimportant or unexpressive. 
God, we want to do something about it right here, right now, as we encounter the mystery and the awesomeness and the wonder of the great God who is the one and only God worthy of our worship. I pray that you would receive our raves and our boast and our clamorous foolishness today. Receive our extended hand, the plucking of stringed instruments, our shouts, our surrender, and our exuberant singing from our hearts, from our minds, from our soul, from our strength, because you alone are worthy, and we ask you to receive our worship now in Jesus' name and for his sake. And everybody said, amen. Ready to worship God? Let's bring our best to him.